Hi, I'm Gavin. And I'm Ryan. And welcome back to The Sound Project. All right, so today we're going to be talking about classroom acoustics. Yep. Um, so we get involved with a lot of different types of projects, and a lot of them are in uh, educational facilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we're doing recording studios in these spaces. Sometimes it's a lecture hall or, or just uh, there's a lot of different spaces that acoustics is really critical for uh, yeah. in these educational facilities. So um, classroom acoustics in particular, uh, we're going to talk about that because there's some standards that you need to hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll just kind of jump right into it. Um, so the National Center of Education Statistics, uh, the NCES, they actually uh, did a survey, and one in five of the educational facilities uh, rate their acoustical quality uh, unsatisfactory or very unsatisfactory. Um, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's uh, obviously there's some acoustical struggles in these buildings, and um, it's pretty common. Like we see it a lot of times, we're uh, called in to fix an existing space or just to help design a space to to be better, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, um, uh, what you want in a learning environment is just to be able to clearly understand and communicate with each other uh, so you can learn it the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very important to get these spaces right. Um, and you want to not only be able to hear uh, correctly and clearly, uh, but also you don't want to have distractions because um, distractions take away from your focus and your learning ability. And so distracting noises or, or privacy issues mm-hmm. with sound leaking in and out is all going to uh, impact how someone learns um, but you have to be able to hear properly to learn properly you yeah. know and, and and so it's a it's a big responsibility when we get these projects um, so some of the design factors that we look at when we get involved in these projects is that we want to make sure there's low noise so that we're eliminating distracting noises from maybe mechanical units or or other uh, spaces that are close to it uh, um, that that kind of dips a little bit into isolation as well uh, where we're trying to make sure that the, the structure is built in a way that is going to um, uh, block out as much sound as needed uh, but not more than needed because more than needed means you've wasted money mm-hmm. and, and so we're always trying to find that balance in between and then we also look at room acoustics, so the sound quality itself, so making sure the reverb time is appropriate or there's not uh, focused reflections or slapback echo or different things that we need to need to deal with. Um, and there is actually a standard for uh, acoustical quality in, in classrooms. It's not a standard that people uh, have to hit as mm-hmm. a designer, but it is a guidelines that, that you can use uh, from ANSI and ASA, uh, which is the Acoustical Performance Criteria, Design Requirements, and Guidelines for Schools. And and so it sets these design factors for us as designers to hit. And so here's a, a cover of, of that uh, that document. It's many, many pages, and it has a lot of uh, really cool information in it. And we use it anytime that we're dealing with an education uh, um, building project. So talking about low noise, these distracting sounds that I mentioned, it could be a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Like mechanical equipment is the, one of the biggest ones, like the HVAC, um, uh, also like any sort of plumbing or, or things like that that do, could create noise into your room. Um, usually you just want to uh, locate those units as far away as possible from the noise-sensitive spaces. Like you don't want to have them on the roof of, uh, like, say, a, a choir room or something like that because when it kicks on, it could potentially impact their space. Um, or if you don't want it to impact the space and it's on the roof, you have to use a lot of expensive materials to, to make that happen. And so you can uh, solve a lot of things just by distance and being able to place things far away. Um, also, you can put attenuators and silencers in the duct path uh, to make, make sure 
that that air noise is not going to transfer through. And then there's also vibration control because anytime you have something that's vibrating and uh, potentially resonating the structure, if you can cut that out at the source, it's going to be a better result for everybody. Um, Other noise sources would be like AV equipment. So it could be projectors or it could be audio equipment that's in the room that has fan noise. Uh, Anything that that has a fan in it uh, could potentially create some noise that would be a distraction for students. Sure. So all these things have to be considered when we're trying to keep the noise down. Um, we, when we're looking at low noise, there's usually a metric called noise criterion, uh, NC rating. So a lot of our architects and, and uh, MEP uh, consultants know noise criteria as, as just common language. Uh, but it's a single number rating that, that indicates how loud a room is. Um, and, and it's an unoccupied room. So it's like just noise from HVAC and just the normal ambient noise level of a room. And uh, the thing about it is, is that it's, it's, uh, you, you take, uh, I'm going to show a graph here. Um, this is an NC graph where you have noise level on the left axis. And then on the, the X axis at the bottom, you have frequency. And what you do is you take a meter and you measure the ambient noise level across the frequency spectrum and you plot it against these standardized curves. And wherever it crosses the line um, of one of those standardized curves is what the rating for that, that would be. So the one that we're seeing on the screen right here. Uh, it crosses at the NC25 rating right here. And it doesn't quite cross here uh, at 2,000 hertz, but it does at, um, you know, 160 or so. And so this would get an NC of 25 if you plotted this on this graph. And so we're always specifying NC ratings given the room's application and how quiet that needs to be. For recording studios, it might be 15 uh, to 20 uh, of an NC rating that we're trying to hit. Um, but for a gymnasium, it might be 35 or 40, you know, because that's a louder environment. It doesn't isn't as critical as some of those other spaces. There's also a a thing in the classroom uh, standard called the room noise criteria, RNC, which is similar to NC. It's just it focuses on the lower frequency spectrum more than NC does. And so it's a similar thing. Uh, You you see uh, uh, different curves here for the RNC lines, but the same type of thing. You you measure your your ambient noise level, you plot it against this, and then you figure out what your RNC number would be. And it's just something with it being a different metric, it actually looks at things like rumble and lower frequency sounds and uh, and focuses in on that a little bit more and and, and, uh, notice on this one here there's a lot more low frequency energy in this room and that's why the RNC is, is maybe more appropriate. Uh, so there's with these low noise standards in the uh, ANSI ASA um, um, uh, guidelines, for every different different type of room, there is a uh, um, given NC rating or a ambient noise level that you're trying to hit. And so it's great to have these guidelines as a designer because it gives us like requirements to shoot for. Mm-hmm. So isolation is the next thing here, and uh, I'm showing an image here on on the screen where it's showing a noise source in the room and then all the paths it can take to try to get around that wall partition. And it's penetrations, HVAC ducting, um, airborne sound just going through the wall, vibrations going under the floor. There's so many things that can happen. And uh, it it could just be a big distraction for classrooms if you're hearing what's happening on the other side of the wall. Uh, I remember once I I did a a project where there's two classrooms next to each other. It was actually for the military. And it was rooms where they were teaching soldiers uh, different languages. Um, And they're right next to each other Mm -hmm. trying to learn a new language. 
and you could hear the next classroom all the time. Like it would just spill in over the top of the wall. And so it's already hard to learn a new language, let alone if you hear another language coming from over the, from the next classroom. Man. And so it's important just to try to get that focus and, and uh, try to isolate it as best we can. But we do that with mass and decoupling, try to build up as, as much uh, uh, mass in that wall and airspace and then vibration control. And there's all sorts of different materials that, that we can, we can uh, tap into to make that happen. Um, and and uh, it, it's just not easy, you know. Unfortunately, isolation is very difficult to take care of. But with a good plan, it can it can be done. Sure. Another thing when it comes to isolation, a couple of metrics to be aware of. There's transmission loss, which is uh, um, how many decibels at a given frequency a material is blocking for their their sound. Um, and uh, with transmission loss, it's a great metric because it's frequency dependent. Then there's the STC rating, which uh, I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before, is that it's not a very useful metric because it's a one-number rating trying to um, uh, you know, summarize a very complex problem. And so uh, STC can be uh, very misleading. Two walls could have the same STC rating, but one could be three times as effective at blocking lower frequency sounds. And because of that, uh, it's really not helpful. Um, so transmission loss values are a little bit uh, better to look at, but the higher the number is, the better isolation you're going to get, but it's just never a perfect indicator to look at, at STC alone. So looking at sound pressure level, uh, for, uh, I'd like to show this, this chart because we have decibel level on the left, and then we have some examples on the far right, and then a perception in the center column of what that would sound like. So at zero decibels, that's the threshold of, of normal hearing, and then as you go up, uh, it, it's going to be louder and louder. Um, so 30 uh, dB would be the average home with no stereo or TV on. Um, you've got a conversation from three feet away, which is about where we're at right now. Yeah. about uh, 50 decibels and then inside a car at 35 miles an hour is 70 and you just go up and up and the louder you get um you know it, it starts to be you notice the perception changes from moderate to loud very noisy intolerable deafening and then painful there is a point where sound can get to be physically painful and that's mm -hmm. around 140 decibels and causes you pain not just like uh, being uncomfortable um, but with this it's always good to know what your source material you're trying to block with isolation because sure. if you're just trying to block uh, a conversation from three feet away it's only 50 decibels so you don't have to do a whole lot to block that with the partition however if it's a rock concert like there's a performance <laughs> uh, space right on the other side of your wall you got to do a lot more for that uh, so with sound isolation we created the sound isolation simulator on our website which uh, allows you to hear how much sound reduction you're going to get from different partitions it can be really useful in, in uh, designing these spaces uh, to figure out how much isolation you need because uh, it's different for every person and it's it's nice to go through the simulator and figure out okay that would be acceptable for me and then we can design yep. to that goal uh, so with sound isolation standards, there's uh, in in the ANSI uh, ASA standards, they have um, uh, typical STC ratings that they shoot for. For let's say a music room with another music room right next to it, the STC rating they recommend is 60, uh, which checks out because that's usually what a lot of studios shoot for is a mm -hmm. 60 STC minimum uh, for for uh, um, trying to isolate the sound. However, a music room next to a corridor is only 45 because it's less intrusive to a corridor than it would be another music room. Uh, so there's these standards in built into that uh, document. 
Uh, next thing here is room acoustics. So the room size, typically the, the larger the room is, the, the longer the reverb time is going to be. And uh, with that, uh, you know, we have to consider if the room gets so large, we have to start looking at reverb time as a metric. But if it's a smaller classroom, then reverb time really doesn't tell us a whole lot. It's usually more like uh, looking at reflections and making sure the, the ambience is okay. Um, but the size is going to dictate things. Typically, you want to avoid concave surfaces in mm -hmm. educational facilities and it's a little foreshadowing for a case study that we're going to do in a little bit um, but concave surfaces focus energy to the center of the radius of curvature uh, whereas convex surfaces scatter sound and push it back into the room spread out over a wider area so concave surfaces are challenging and, and we'll get into more of that uh, during that case study um, we also uh, you know for for a classroom you know they they need to function properly for speech applications some some classrooms do music as well we need to make sure all of those work together and uh a lot of times you know the shape of the room is going to impact things as well you know like you want to avoid those concave surfaces but also you could angle walls and make your life a lot easier acoustically if you just do it properly um, sure. sometimes you angle it incorrectly it makes your problems worse uh, <laughs> but you you if you uh, consult professionals like ourselves or others like uh, we can help you and guide you through that process um, the surface finishes are really important too you know like hard surfaces like reflective uh, drywall concrete marble things like that are going to reflect that sound back then soft surfaces will absorb things like cushions on a on a seat or drop tile ceilings carpeted floors acoustical panels um, so it ne you need to have the right balance between all of them but sometimes special acoustical materials aren't necessary like if you design the room properly with the right angles and the right materials for the surfaces you can get a good result just just on your own uh, we also look at empty versus full, you know, like um, when we design a space or we model a space, we never usually model it with it empty because if it's empty, that means the room is not being used. And so um, that is something that, that we're going to make sure that that. Uh, however much absorption that people offer mm -hmm. into the room that that we are considering that in our design and we're not over treating the room uh, with acoustical panels and not accounting for how much people are going to offer sure so with um with the size of like the space you had said that um like for a classroom size you may not worry about the rt but then yeah. like for larger rooms you would yeah where's like the cutoff between okay this room needs to be like we need to look at the RT whether it's a classroom or not yeah. versus all right maybe we don't need to yeah a lot of times that ends up being about like ten thousand cubic feet okay you know somewhere in that range is where reverb time really starts to kick in because mm -hmm. reverb time is a metric that's meant for larger spaces because then you have a diffuse sound field sure. in smaller spaces you never get that so it doesn't mean that you can't measure reverb time in a small room it's just not uh, as accurate and also as useful as sure. it would be in a bigger space that makes sense good question um, all right, the next thing we're going to look at uh, is that reverberation time, uh, which is the time it takes for sound to decay by 60 decibels. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, frequency dependent. So in lower frequencies, mid frequencies, and high frequencies, you're going to get different values. It's not just a one number rating. And it can change the way a room sounds, like whether it's like boomy or bright or muddy or warm or hissy, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, all of those are a characteristic of, of the reverb time in the room and the frequency response of the room as well. And we're going to have a target for every room that we're dealing with. And, and we, we are always trying to design to that. We can build models to simulate this uh, so that we there's no surprises. I don't like surprises on projects, neither do our clients. <laughs> so we try to do that the best we can on that front. 
Um, here's a chart that shows uh, a reverb time for common types of, of facilities uh, in uh, rooms in educational facilities. And so you can see up here, uh, the, the, the bottom axis here is reverberation time in seconds. So from 0.4 up to three seconds. And then you've got some speech applications, music and speech applications, and music only applications as you go up. But you notice like a classroom and boardroom, 0.4 to 0.8 second reverb time. Yeah. Really short, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want that reverb time to be quick because you can understand speech better in rooms that have a, a, a short reverb time. But then you go all the way up here to choir and organ and that's two to 3.2 seconds. Um, that's a huge, huge difference in, in uh, the perception of sound in a room that has a three second reverb time versus one that's 0.4. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a, a totally different application. Uh, looking at, uh, let's see, like a small theater might be 0.8 to 1.5. Yeah, so there's, there's some guidelines to go from, but it also requires us to just talk to our clients and figure out what they want, you know, and, and uh, make sure we tailor uh, to their needs. Uh, for uh, classroom acoustics, that going back to that ANSI standard again, um, you know, a core learning space that has under 10,000 cubic feet, so that would be where um, the reverb time isn't mm -hmm. isn't as uh, accurate necessarily. But there is a um, uh, guideline here of 0.5 seconds to be the maximum reverb time if it's under 10,000 cubic feet. Uh, between 10,000 cubic feet and 20,000 cubic feet, it goes up a little bit, just 0.6 seconds. And then notice like ancillary. Uh, learning spaces it just says no requirement um, because it, it just depends on if it's not a core learning space they're not going to put limitations on that sure um, we did just like the sound isolation simulator we have the reverb time simulator where you can actually hear rooms with and without treatment it can be very beneficial for educational facilities to hear um, how much different it is to hear speech in a room with treatment versus yeah. without treatment and and can really help make decisions and making sure that Unfortunately, acoustics is one of the first things that's cut from the budget and one of the first things that people complain about afterwards. Uh, this tool is kind of in, in hopes that it doesn't get cut, right. that you know the importance of it um, and, and know it from the very beginning. Uh, you can also look at speech transmission index, which is STI. It's a number rating from zero to one. Mm -hmm. One would be perfectly intelligible, and zero would be uh, you wouldn't understand a thing. Right. And it combines a lot of different metrics to create this easy zero to one rating. And it's something that we measure all the time in spaces and make sure that speech can be understood clearly in mm -hmm. spaces. So going through, so we talked about classrooms a lot so far. Um, there's some other spaces in educational facilities that could be uh, uh, could benefit from acoustical treatment. The first one would be gymnasiums. Um, gymnasiums are, uh, you know, it's common to overlook it because people just think, okay, it's brick or concrete or whatever. Put some basketball hoops up and we're good to go. <laughs> but it's a place where a lot of times you have, you know, the entire school gets together for events in those spaces, right. and you've got. Uh, sometimes an inadequate speaker system that is is then fighting with the room itself. And uh, if you can have a good acoustical environment like this one that's shown here, has some acoustical panels in the room and also some some treatment on the ceiling to help calm down that reverb time so that it's not so harsh in there when someone blows a whistle or they're trying to announce something. Uh, you want to make sure that it's it's uh, it's comfortable. Uh, this uh, happens to be a uh, gymnasium that we did at uh, up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they were having complaints that no one could understand when someone checked into a game, like they did basketball and volleyball in this space. Mm -hmm. 
people would check into a game and they wouldn't even it get announced but people were like who's coming in i don't know like <laughs> it was really really bad uh reverb time harsh reflections everywhere and then we treated it uh we went on site did testing came up with a treatment plan and the only complaint that we got on this job is that it was so controlled that the opposing coach complained one time because he said he that people could hear what's happening in his huddle you know and and oh. so like that that is obviously doesn't happen very often right. but it's a very well controlled environment now to where they can they can uh, understand speech really clearly mm-hmm. lecture halls are is another uh, place where uh, we need it's it's like a classroom but it's a little bit bigger and then reverb time plays a bigger factor um, but with the excessive reverb time that happens in these spaces we have to be even more careful with what type of acoustical materials and where it gets placed. And a lot of times these lecture halls, they have a little bit better sound systems than the standard classroom would. And because uh, some small classrooms, they don't have a sound system. They just, the teacher projects their voice. Uh, in lecture halls, sometimes you need some added PA. Um, so that can implement some challenges sure. in, uh, into the room. Uh, cafeterias are another one, you know, like, uh, cafeterias are not just, uh, places where, where people are eating. Sometimes there's performance aspects there where there's a stage built into the cafeteria, like this one that's shown here. Um, but also if you just have a, a ton of kids in a, in a space like that and they're all being loud, it could be stressful for, for yep. not only the students, but also teachers. And, and so having a calmer environment can be really nice, uh, to be able to control that and, and just have a more peaceful, uh, peaceful environment. Uh, another one's fine arts and auditoriums. Like this, we get involved a lot more on on these spaces because of our our music background. But um, these fine arts auditoriums are really critical listening spaces. It's where performances are happening, and you know these students are working so hard on these performances. If they then are put into a, an environment to show it off to their their um, family and friends, and it's just a cacophony of sound and no one can understand anything, um, you know it's it's wasting all that that effort they put into yeah. it, and so having a nice environment to be able to perform in is just just key for these students and we like to help help on that front um with that uh we also have practice in band rooms like this is a photo from saint francis university um yeah university of saint francis in fort wayne indiana and this is one of their ensemble rooms that has uh some flex 48 from uh, panels from acoustical fulfillment on the walls and then some geofusers from orlex on the ceilings and the walls just to make a, a nice environment that's mostly diffuse uh but they could also take those shields off of the flex 48s and make it more dead sounding if they want depending on what they're doing on a given day uh, but these rooms are really important to make sure it's controlled enough that where practice is is fruitful you know and, and allows them to sound their best so i'm going to do a quick case study here of uh, this this uh classroom that we did at grace college in winona yeah. lake indiana um, the classroom itself that we're going to talk about is actually shown here it's that circular structure uh, <laughs> that that's on the front of the building there and uh, we talked about concave surfaces and how that's a challenge and this one was was a, a big challenge yeah. uh, we we got brought in uh, after the fact so the building was built and then as it was being built people started to notice this doesn't sound good and so we got involved to try to figure out how to how to improve it um so we went on site and did testing this photograph is actually from um you know where i i was doing my testing you see the microphone there and the and the uh, portable loudspeaker that we brought in Uh, but the idea for this room was a classroom in the round where the professor would be in the center of the room Mm -hmm. talking to the students that are sitting around them 
And uh, in theory, that's a great idea. You know, it's like it gets more interaction and, and just a different environment where people can try to focus in on what the professor's saying. However, in practice, it just caused a lot of problems. Right. So with this circular environment, it caused focusing, like that concave uh, diagram that I showed before, mm -hmm. at focusing to the center of the radius of curvature. Well, the center of the radius of curvature is the center of the room, which is where that professor was speaking, right? right. And I remember when I was there the first day, I stood in the center and I spoke like I was trying to address a class, mm -hmm. and it sounded like there was 50 of me talking. Like, in, it, it, and it's just so focused that it almost sounds like it's just inside your head rather than uh, hitting your ears. It's like, it's it's pretty a wild, wild experience. And um, it's something where that's, I'm sure, what professors were experiencing. That's why we got a call. Right. Um, because it just was not, uh, <clears throat> was not a pleasing listening environment at all. Um, so here's a top-down view of the room. Uh, they did plan on some acoustical ceiling tiles in the ceiling, and uh, but the, all the walls were all drywall and uh, um, just a, just a challenging space. So we did some testing. We focused on impulse responses, reverb time, STI measurements, um, and, and uh, really tried to dial in what the problem was. It wasn't too hard to figure out because the problem was the room was circular. You yeah. know, like and, and that that's uh, causing issues. Looking at the impulse response, uh, this is something where you don't typically see the impulse response looking like this. Yeah. Uh, this is an example of uh, focusing and flutter echo that's that's occurring in the space because you see the rhythmic peaks of the reflections coming back to the microphone after the direct sound got cut off. But you see all these spikes that are happening and you can see that the distance between them is the same all the mm -hmm. time because this microphone was placed in the center of the room and the time for it to come back to it was always equal, except it just kept bouncing back and forth, back and forth and focusing in on this room. So this is what the impulse response looked like before we did treatment in the room. And then the next slide here is after treatment. And notice how uh, that phenomenon is pretty much almost gone. You can see a little bit of, uh, of that still happening, but it's not as uh, great as it was before, and the amplitude isn't as loud. Um, so I'm going to show what we did to solve that. Um, the, the key here was to use this uh, product from Acoustical Fulfillment uh, called uh, wedge panels. Mm -hmm. And wedge panels, uh, they make these panels call that are inch thick on one side and three inches thick on the other side so it creates an angled front face of the panel because uh, strangely enough if you were to put just flat faced acoustical panels on that curved wall mm -hmm. um, it the problem would not go away because uh, the the angle of incidence into the directly into a panel there's a reflected component that comes back off of a flat panel but if you angle that like these wedge panels naturally do on their own mm -hmm. um, while still being easy to hang on the walls, uh, it, it just really breaks out that focusing issue, breaks it up, and, and doesn't cause a problem anymore, while also uh, reducing reverb time. So this next uh, photo that I'm showing shows you kind of a, how that wedge panel looks. You see the thin section, it slopes up to a thicker section, and so the front face is always angled. And Now, you could do it with flat-faced panels, um, just normal acoustical panels, but you'd have to uh, mount them on the wall with the angle built in and that's sure. sometimes hard to do you gotta do like wood blocking and, and create the angle yourself mm -hmm. whereas the wedge panels do it for you um, so this was the the uh, goal and in fact we started with uh, panels just circling the entire room where there was no airspace in between them 
But we ended up uh, removing every other one because of budget concerns. And, sure. and But the spacing of it was done so that if they ever wanted to go back and add in those panels that were in the void, they could do that and not have to reposition any of the existing panels. Um, but it turned out that just half of the panels were enough to, to make the difference for them. <clears throat> we took uh, reverb time measurements before and after, and in some cases it was up to 73% reduction at, at 1,000 hertz there. It, it was 1.76 seconds uh, of reverb at before treatment and 0.47 after. Um, and it really wasn't a ton of treatment. Mm -hmm. Like it, it really, uh, sometimes if placed correctly and choosing the right treatments, you can really make a, a great result. Uh, next thing here is the reverb time study. The, t the red line is the reverb time of the room before uh, uh, treatment was done, and the green line was after treatment was completed. So you see that big boost of, of reverb time at 1,000, 2,000, and 4,000. It's now uh, well within acceptable limits and right on that target line that we were shooting for. Yeah. And this is a picture of it completed, you know, and, and you got a, a professor there standing in the center uh, addressing their students. They have like these mobile desks to be able to move around and just uh, ended up working for them, uh, even though, uh, you know, it was something that had to be done after the fact. And I think aesthetically, the room still looks like it, it was mm -hmm. uh, uh, meant to be that way. Yeah. So. So that's it. I mean, there's there's so many things to consider with with acoustics in in educational facilities. And uh, the main thing I'd just like to point out is that like we would be happy to talk with anybody about yeah. this. You know, we love to share our knowledge, and and if we're the right fit for a project, like we can help you out with it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but it's it's tough to do alone. You know, and like uh, just like we're not structural engineers, so I would never want to uh, <laughs> design a building and make sure that it doesn't fall down. But I'll make it sound good. You yeah. know, and so. So it's it's uh, it's fun to be involved in these projects. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're really curious to see if you had acoustical issues in the schools that, that you attended as, as you were growing up. Uh, feel free to comment below if you had any of these issues that we talked about. And we're happy to, to interact with you on that and answer some questions. And really appreciate you guys being part of the Sound Project. And we'll see you next week.